You are listening to the Enormo Cast. When you think about it, is there another gear company so dedicated to outfitting climbers from head to toe as Black Diamond? They've got lightweight modern helmets and headlamps for your pointy head, high performance apparel to wrap that sweet climber bod you've been cultivating, all the way down to their line of advanced climbing shoes for those tender piggies. They've got crash pads for the pad sniffers. The best protection money can buy for the trad dads, ice tools for the masochists. Pitons, haul bags, portal ledges, backpacks, draws, beaners, harnesses, tents, probes, skis, poles, and even the signature Enormacast rhinestone studded unisex micro fleece G string. Well, no, that doesn't exist yet, despite me stuffing the suggestion box every chance I get. So next time you're shopping for, well, nearly anything a climber could want, honor the generations of weary Black Diamond engineers poring over AutoCAD in their cubicles when they'd much rather be climbing. And go to blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop to see the fruits of their dedicated labor. And remember, Black Diamond is a proud sponsor of the Cast. La Sportiva presents Storytime. There once was a little boy named Tommy Caldwell. One day, little Tommy decided he wanted to climb a really big wall, but he couldn't find any shoes to climb the big wall in. So he decided to build his own out of scotch tape, fluffer nutter, and a used pair of hand jammies left behind by a couple of euros in Camp 4. When those didn't work, Tommy called the adults at Sportiva and asked them for help. Sportiva came up with the TC Pro, named after little Tommy himself. A shoe so good at big wall climbing that little TC grew up to climb the hardest, biggest big walls in the world in his TC Pros. Then he talked his best friend, teeny tiny Alex H, into trying them, and Alex, well, he became a pretty good climber too. So if you want to be like TC or Tiny A, go to Sportiva.com or your favorite mountain shop and check out a pair of TC Pros, and maybe someday you'll grow up too. The end. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, yeah, it's big place. That's, out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. You really should. Look, you better get up there before he panics. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. It is February 11th, about 9.45 here in Colorado, and this is episode 192 of the Enormacast, a conversation with climber, world traveler, Jenny Fisher. Who is Jenny Fisher? Well, if you, like me, 
have an Instagram feed just jam-packed with every climber you can possibly find, then you may know her as Jenny Lemon Pie. All right, does that ring a bell? Anyway, Jenny Fisher's on the show today, and uh, I got this one in Boulder this uh, January, and I want to give a shout out to the Access Fund, because we actually did this in their offices, which may be news to most of the people who work at the Access Fund, but yeah, late night session in your office talking to Jenny Fisher. And with that in mind, I would like to point out that if you are a climber living here in the United States and are not a member of the Access Fund, you suck. You just suck. And so uh, to stop sucking, you should just figure out a way to come up with a few bucks, get your free t-shirt from the Access Fund, and find out what they're up to and support it. Because you certainly climb or will one day climb at an area that they've helped protect. An Access Fund. You guys can have that slogan. Stop sucking. Join the Access Fund. That's a freebie from the Norman Cast to you. So not much to tell you about. Still banging it out here in February, waiting for it to warm up because I don't ice climb and I'm only lukewarm on skiing these days either. So can't wait to get out there into some warm sunshine and start rock climbing. So let's get to this interview with Jenny Fisher. I met Jenny a couple few years ago, her and Chris Schulte gave me a ride to Moab. I believe that's where we were going. But I, uh, you know, got to know her a little bit on that ride. I was sitting in the back with the dog in the dark, you know, talking to the front seat, kind of talking to the back of her head. But then, you know, moved on until I found her on Instagram and been watching what she's up to. She's been climbing around the world, climbing in Czech Republic, climbing a lot of cracks, climbing in China. So I finally hit her up and asked her if she wanted to come on the show. And we got it done in this brief period that she was back in the U.S. before leaving for Europe once again. And yeah, we end up quite a bit on an origin story here because it's interesting that Jenny started later in life. I had no idea how old she was. I thought she was much younger than she is, but uh, she didn't start climbing until she was 32 and got super into it in the last few years. Just basically flipped her life upside down and started to... uh, make it revolve around climbing. And she also got into it in a pretty heavy way right away. And she has some some interesting techniques for dealing with fear. Doesn't seem to have much of it, frankly, although, you know, it comes and goes. But uh, we'll find out all about that in uh, this rather freewheeling and fun interview. I just had a really good time talking to Jenny, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it and hopefully be inspired, especially if you two are starting, you know, when I say late in life these days, that means, you know, early 20s, frankly. But uh, if you're like me or like a lot of people and you're just like painfully jealous of these children climbers who have tendons of steel and an impossible strength to weight ratio, well, maybe Jenny will inspire and let you know you still got some gas in the tank. All right, let's do it. Check out this interview with Jenny Fisher. I read this article at the Mountain Sun um, a few minutes ago um, <laughs> about like uh, like kind of online trolling a little bit. Uh-huh. I was that outside article. I'm sure you know the one. I'm, I don't. You were remember. quoted in it about oh, like really? Instagram and and you were yeah. No shit. Yeah, about 
like Instagram, like dudes sending inappropriate crap or trolling girls on uh-huh. Instagram and stuff? I'm trying to remember now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember. I did an interview for this guy while I was in China. Okay. And <clears throat> that's really funny that I, I just like don't remember. that. I didn't realize it was for Outside Magazine, I don't think, when I did the interv- uh-huh. interview. and uh, He might have pitched it afterwards. Totally could have. Um, he, I do recall, I, I'm recognizing his name. I recall him asking if he could quote me. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Okay. And it was around that time that Chaucey DMs. Yeah, and I'm seeing, I'm looking for my quote of like what he said. Is that still going? The Chaucey DMs? No. So, and, and this came up recently. Somebody posted about it. I can't remember which, which girl it was that posted about it, but it got, Chaucey DMs got removed by Instagram. Right, and I then maybe that was going to be the case. They started like Chaucey DMs too, and that also got removed. And so at that point, I think they just kind of like gave up. Yeah. Because people who do this kind of shit online, it's such cowardice behind the scenes. They have absolutely no humanity for anyone. They'll say, do send you like whatever. The minute you screenshot it and put it in your story for thousands of other people to see, then you're the bad guy. Like, it's totally inappropriate to publicly call them out for just, like, bad human behavior. So, I think that, like, with Chaucey DMs, like, posting so many of them, people were probably complaining about having their... Because, like, if it happens to me, I'll screenshot it and post it in my story. Like, and I don't cover up their name or anything. I just, like, feed them to the wolves because... If you think that it's totally acceptable to say that kind of shit to me, then you can deal with however many hundreds of people want to DM you and tell you you're a total asshole. Right. Yeah. So it's a real thing. I'm I'm trying to find like what they said. I because s- okay. Just making sure you you were straight and clean in this whole thing. <laughs> I have 100% experienced harassment. I think there's something about being on social media that opens you up to that particular type of person that feels like they're entitled to lash out at you. I think it's all the anonymity. Yeah. like I mean, not that their name isn't on it or you couldn't like ferret it out, but you know, there's this giant space between you and them that they think will never be, never be crossed. Totally. Totally. And, and not even that like you can't ferret out who they are. Like I've received... I've got, I've been on the, the end of harassment where it's somebody that is known that knows me that created a fake account so that they could harass people behind the scenes. And it's like, really? Like, who are you that this is your life that, you know, after you've done whatever you do for the day, you, you know, hole up in your room with your phone and, and harass people that, you know, via anonymously via some masked Instagram profile is like, I don't know. People are sick sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a way to open this a little bit, but that idea of this sort of kind of behind the scenes harassment thing. I mean, you know, I get it. I was I was definitely privy to this. You know, before social media, there was there was Super Topo, and and after Super Topo came Mountain Project, and and all these sorts of forums. And there used to be all sorts of other little forums that that See, have super, died on the vine. Super so. Topo is still pretty ugly. Well, they can't. No one can post anything on it anymore. It's shut down. Did oh, you know that? no, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can just go back and and it's all the ugliness is archived, so you can go back and relive <laughs> it off. <laughs> it's been frozen in history. Yeah, it is. Seriously, it's, yeah, it's, no. a, it's a museum of. Yeah, they, they had some copyright problems. Um, you know, people posting copyrighted images that came back and and and, and oh, burned them, and so they shut it down uh, last July, and now it's oh, just wow. the archive of whatever came before that date is all okay. there to be. 
you know, a lot of it is good information. There's all sorts of trip reports and there's, you know, the total normal crag discussions and route discussions. And so that's all there too. But of course, all the junk is there as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's dead on the vine. So it's, it's a, it's just a little raisin of itself now. So, um, but what I was getting at is like, you know, definitely being a little bit older and, you know, not having sort of been born into this kind of social media scene, uh, this idea of that kind of harassment, I mean, it's always happened in, in some form or another, but it's still always shocking to me that, uh, I mean, the boldness of it and just the weirdness of it, it would just, I, I guess I'm naive, but even if I was sort of like, I mean, I just can't imagine that kind of forwardness at all. It kind of, it like makes me uncomfortable to even think about it. I totally agree with you. And it's shocking to me and I've experienced it and I know it's out there and I know that people behave this way. But I'm like, I'm a total optimist. I like to believe the good in people. And so when some complete stranger lashes out at me on Instagram with just like some completely unprovoked dickery, I'm like, what? Whoa. Like, where did you, what rock did you crawl out from under? Who raised you? Like, that's my reaction to that every single time is kind of like... You know, what? what is it that's going on in your life that makes you think that you, you can behave that way to complete strangers? But it gets like as as the social media pool itself just gets like bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper. It actually gets worse because people feel that they're that much more anonymous. That, uh-huh. You know, it's not like they would never face to face treat you that way. But they're so disconnected from the fact that you're a real person. Which I get on, I get on Instagram a lot too. Like somebody will write me something, and and I I go to I go to kind of a surprising effort to answer all of my messages because mm-hmm. I believe that like I kind of invited all of these humans on this journey with me, and if they're willing to take the time to write me a message or ask me a question, it's like I feel a human responsibility to give that time back to them and, and respond to their questions people write me and I write them back and they're really surprised. They're like, oh, I, I can't believe that you're, that you're writing me back. Like, well, I, you, you wrote to a person like this isn't just right. some, this isn't just some like climbing billboard facade that's backed by, you know, six companies. Like I'm just a real person right. that's on here just being a real human being. So yeah, when you write me, you're getting a hold of a, a human just like you. But there's this disconnect where people don't like, they look at the numbers and they're like, Oh, that's not, that's not really a person anymore. That's uh-huh. like, that's an entity. It's a, it's a mirage of something. I mean, I, I get that because I think that, um, I think a lot of people and rightly so think of this, of the Enormacast that way. And, uh, you know, I always joke and it's not a joke. It's more of a, it's more of an apology of like, I don't, I can't get to all my emails, folks. I can't get to all the, the messages and I do apologize. Um, but I think, I'm still at this small scale where where I'm totally approachable. Um and I don't know what, you know, your Instagram followers look like or anything else, but you know, I I've mentioned this a lot and and until we until we kind of entered the the Honold era, you know, even our biggest our biggest sort of quote-unquote climbing celebrities were nothing compared to like proper, you know, Hollywood or proper like professional sports celebrities. So mm-hmm. I've always felt like the one cool thing that still happens and that you can be around and find that a lot of these people are really approachable. You know, it's like when I interviewed Lynn Hill, like people were sort of 
you know, God, I can't, you know, it's like, well, I would love to talk to her. And, I, and I'd just be like, well, if you ever see her at the cliff, just go talk to her because she's really sweet. And I don't think she gets mobbed. And like, I don't think she's going to have a problem with it at all. Like she's, there's Lynn Hill. There she is. It's like, she's, she's actually one of the first people that I met when I moved to Boulder. Right. I like was climbing at movement and, uh, there was a few other women like climbing around me and I hear this voice, this woman standing next to me and she died, like just uh, been lowered off something. And she was like, what did you think of that pink one? And I looked and I was like, holy shit, that's Lynn Hill. <laughs> look, and you looked down and then there she was. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm much shorter than oh. people think I am. But, uh, but yeah, I was like, whoa, whoa. I thought it was an awkward crux. She was right. like, yeah, I felt the same way about it. I was like, okay. <laughs> You're in Boulder now. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I mean, the one cool that Lynn is all about, like, uh, wim- women climbers and, and young, you know, sort of being a part of young women who are climbers, you know, their lives and stuff. So yeah, it's like was, a big, big, big thing for her. So and, and I don't I don't like know her, know her based right. off of that. She was just just super chill. Yeah. And yeah, just, yeah, it's just this normal person snuck up on yeah. me and surprised me. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's cool. But with that said, everybody leave Alex Honnold alone. <laughs> like he, <laughs> to be honest with you, he doesn't need it anymore. He's he's had enough. <laughs> exactly. And, and I've, I've met Alex several times, too. And uh, he doesn't strike me as like the super mega star personality at all so right. it's got to be a lot yeah it's and, a lot I, I, it's totally like it's definitely kind of overwhelming for him to be in yosemite and stuff from what i understand so for sure yeah but anyway yeah i mean th- that's a place to start but the other reason i want to start with that is that um is just kind of this again this paradigm of uh social media and and how i sort of connect with with this whole younger generation of which you're part I don't, how old are you how old do you think I am? Um, 28. Wow. What? Thank you. I'm 38. You're 38 years old? 38 Jesus Christ. Years old. Okay, this whole line of talking is, <laughs> is gone. Now, you're only 10 years younger than me? Yeah. God, I got to get your skincare regimen. <laughs> it's amazing. You need, to be, you need to be raised in the Midwest in, uh, in Michigan. It's for humid state. It preserves you. Okay. All right. Well, let me fix that um, <laughs> line of thinking. This again, like this big social media presence, right? And that's like, uh, it's kind of like I don't know if it's a separate thing, or maybe you can talk about how it's sort of uh, woven into who you are as a climber. But the other thing that actually is is interesting to me is that is there so many women climbers out there who are like these like swashbuckler kind of like into you know super hard track climbing you're into off withing um into sort of globe trotting around the world and for me it was like i don't feel like when i was sort of doing that kind of stuff 25 years ago 20 years ago 25 years ago let's face it like i mean it just didn't seem like women out there doing it like at the level that's going on right now and so i i kind of want to talk to you about like your origin story and how how you started climbing, but also what drew you, you know, to that kind of climbing versus, you know, going down the path of sort of sport climbing and bouldering, which is, is. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, uh, I definitely took a really hard line. 38 years old. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. So there's, there's two things, there's two things that people, uh, miss assume about me all the time. One is that I'm tall. I'm I'm not tall at all. It's like one of the first things that people say when they they meet me. They're like, "Whoa, you're not tall." Like, no, I'm you just not. have a presence, I guess. No, That's I have no, I have really long arms. Is oh. what the thing is. 
<laughs> so if you if you um I'm I'm five foot three. Right. I have a plus five and a half inch ape index. So if you've only seen me climb, it looks like I'm like five eight ish. Five and a half. Yeah. I. It's huh. just like I'm all arms. My arms are as long as my legs are. Huh. Which. Side note, I suck at laybacking and it horrifies me because like I'm like this little hairpin trying to lay back. But anyway, um, yeah, really long arms, but I'm super short. And I got I got into the game very late. Okay. I didn't start climbing until I was thirty two. Okay. All right, so, so that's messing it all up. So yeah, the whole like my entry into the sport, I would say was super unconventional. Um and I think a big part of that had to do with my age like you just you get a little bit older you get into your 30s you've you've checked some of those like life boxes um i when i was in my 20s i got got married we had a house and careers and i lived in my hometown and you grew up in michigan yeah i grew up in port Huron, michigan and it wasn't necessarily that life turned out to not be like it like that checked all the conventional boxes and I was just kind of like doing it not realizing that that was never what I wanted anyway it was just like the next logical step is the next thing in line and I kind of some stuff happened and I woke up right around 30 and was like holy shit this is not my life I'm just like a passenger in this whole thing. And some big things changed and ended up getting divorced. It's cool. He and I are good friends now. Um, but got divorced and changed my career and moved out west. And I'd wanted to be a climber since I was a little kid. Like when I was a little tiny kid, my parents took me out to the Grand Canyon when I was like 12 years old. And I'd never, like growing up in Michigan, I'd never seen landscape like that. I'd never seen cliffs and walls and like mountains and stuff. So it just blew my mind. And some hikers in the canyon, uh, we were there in January. And so I ran into some hikers in the canyon. I'm like hiking down these icy trails on Bright Angel. And I was super psyched and asking them lots of questions because they'd been on the bottom and they saw how like excited I was. And they started telling me all these things of like, basically like your out West outdoor activities, like hiking and camping and sleeping under stars. And we were standing in front of a frozen waterfall and they were like, Oh yeah, people climb these things with spikes on their feet and axes. And I was like, like blew my little 12 year old mind. I was like that, that is what I want to do. And then, you know, I was 12. I went back to Michigan with my right, parents. There's right. shit to climb in Michigan. So I climbed trees and buildings and kind of always had that in the back of my head. And you so... what's interesting about what you just said about sleeping under the stars is that it just occurred to me that's kind of a euphemism for camping. But in the Midwest, it's not literally true because of the damn mosquitoes. Like you... <laughs> You very seldom can just lay a sleeping bag out and and just lay under and go to sleep like looking at the stars. No, in Michigan you totally one hundred percent can't do that. Yeah. And, and I so, grew up. So I, it's funny. I mean, I don't know why I just clued in. I'm like, oh yeah, sleeping under the stars is actually kind of a Western thing. Like it's very it's very Western. Yeah. No, if you slept under the stars in Michigan, you would woke up like somebody had poured a bucket of water right, over right. you. That's the other problem, right? <laughs> yeah, like, the dew in the morning. It's so humid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely not a thing there. Right. Anyway, so you're back in Michigan as a little kid and uh, and sort of putting away these these little memories that you had. Yeah, and I kind of just like had this this dream in my head of of climbing stuff, mm-hmm. walls and mountains and 
you know, life just went on and, and I just went on with it. And so when I had this kind of like quarter life crisis when I was 30, it, I was like, all right, well, maybe I'm just going to have done shit backwards. Maybe I did my 30s and my 20s and now I'm going to go do my 20s and, you know, like dye my hair hot pink and move out west and live out of my car. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it didn't go exactly that route, but all of those things did happen. And I moved out to Tucson, Arizona, and I was in Tucson for a couple of months, just kind of like acclimating to what was available. Why? Why'd you go to Tucson from Michigan? So my... I mean, yeah, unless it's like super technical, like what? how did I end up in n- Tucson? No, it's, it's not super technical. My dad and my brother lived in Tucson. Oh, okay. And so I'd been out to visit several oh, okay, times. Cool. And if, you, if you've never been to Tucson, it's... Uh, it's an awesome place. It's the, the city has four mountain ranges. There's a mountain range on each side. And so to me, that was like having lived in flatland yeah. Michigan my whole life. That was like a Mecca of mountains. Right. I'd never been anywhere else. Well, really. I just, I, I wanted to know because like if you're in Michigan, if you don't have some connection to it, you don't know anything about what the hell Tucson yeah, is. New, so, I, no, right? I know. And, no, I mean, and even, Colorado, sure. Like yeah, you have yeah, some yeah. ideas or whatever, but cause I mean, I grew up in the Midwest too. And you know, Colorado was like the symbolic, like I'm going to go to the mountains, but, but I know Tucson's rad. Well, so, and, well, and yeah. also, also I'd had this experience at the Grand Canyon when I was a little oh, kid. Right. So, yeah, so in, in my mind, Arizona oh, cool. had, right. uh, Arizona had like the, the nice. wilderness mm-hmm. that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're in a month, you're a month into Tucson. So yeah, just just acclimating to the area and, and what kind of things were available to do and in working a ton. I had a really insane job when I moved out there. And uh I moved there in August. I didn't start climbing until the following spring, really. And I had a couple of friends that were going bouldering up in Priestra. And they're like, oh, we're going on a bouldering trip. And like, I'd climbed in the gym a little bit. And I think I'd been out sport climbing on the mountain like once. And I was like, yeah, sure. That's rad. Um, I'll go. So I went. And I mean, for a brand new climber, pre-straw is like pretty brutal. (laughs) But we did all of those things that like 12-year-old me had heard about. We like slept under the stars and, you know, just like went went climbing on all these random rocks and it was kind of like this to me this really creative world coming from like this kind of really structured midwestern life to like oh yeah you just like go do whatever you want you want to sleep over there go sleep over there you want to go climb that thing over there and so went on this really great bouldering trip and uh came away from that with two things one bouldering is really fucking hard and two that like that's what i want to do with my time the the 60 70 hours a week that i'm working right now not worth it right like, right so you'd gone from like this one situation that wasn't working to another situation that was potentially going to not be working uh, well i mean it, it, it brought it brought me closer to yeah. the thing right. that i wanted right um but but it was still that like really super structured professional life and mm. that just doesn't it doesn't leave you a lot of time to fully explore after the the little bouldering trip I went on, I was like, okay, you know what? The weekend warrior thing isn't going to cut it. And that part of that's just my personality. Like, I just don't do things part way. If I'm doing something, I am doing 110% of it until I'm so sick of it, I can't look at it anymore. And climbing was just like somebody flipped a switch. It was like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. And so I went hard my first year, like real hard. So I'm, I'm I was 32 at the time. 
like just turning 33 that spring. And so this is well, like 2012 then or something like that? or Yeah, like, like 2012, 2013. Okay. And um, I'm trying to think like what the progression was. I went on this bouldering trip and then I went sport climbing a few more times like over the course of the next month. And then took a trip up to Paradise Forks, which is right outside Flagstaff. It's a crack climbing area. And in my experience, like bouldering and sport climbing, I was like, wow, like I love climbing. It's as good as I always thought it would be, but it's hard. And my fingers and forearms and all that shit weren't developed at all. And I was like, this is really physically hard. So went up to Paradise Forks, um, me and a, a good friend of mine, and neither of us had ever climbed cracks before, but Paradise Forks is this place where like you wrap into everything. And so we we set up an anchor and wrapped in with our rack of gear and kind of fiddled around with the cams, like sticking them in the crack and yanking on them like, like oh, okay, like physics works. That's good. I think this will work. Pulled the rope, racked up. Like the first time I stuck my fist in that crack, it was like putting a key in a lock. I was just like, this makes total sense to me. The movement of crack climbing was super logical. Climbed the route, got to the top. I was like, whoa, this is like, this is the thing that I always uh-huh. thought it would be. The like thinking about it, the placing gear, the whole like unknown of what, what piece am I going to use? Where should I put it? How is this going to work? The crack gets a little bit wider. My fist doesn't fit anymore. Then what do I do? That was just soul food for me. And, and, and so you hadn't climbed at all in Michigan? Essentially, or had you gone to a gym or anything like I'd, that? I'd climbed it. There was a lifetime fitness. All right, <laughs> of course. <laughs> there was a lifetime. Yeah. There was a lifetime fitness, like ten minutes from sure. my um, my house that I lived in right before I moved. So maybe within like the six months, five or six months before I moved to Arizona, okay. I'd like climbed. I'd done some top roping at the uh, at the Lifetime Fitness up right. the street, and then yeah. a few months in Tucson, and then a few months in and Tucson. Then you're on this the and, leading this and, crack, and yeah, and and so like when I say I went hard my first year, like as a beginner, I am not kidding you. I went, I fucking went for it, and I would not actually recommend that most people learn the way that I chose to learn, but it worked out. I guess I had a lot of luck on my Why side. Why not? Like what happened? Um, long story short, I, I unnecessarily scared myself a couple of times. Okay. Like if I, if I were to sit here and tell you like the most epic climbing stories I have, they all happened my first year. Okay. And that first year wrapped in Yosemite the following spring in like May. And I mean, I, that year I learned aid on the fly on lead, took a 50 plus 50 plus foot whipper in Zion. Um, I pulled my first piece of gear. Um, I took several like 20 to 30 foot range falls. And then in Yosemite, yeah, I would have left the cliffs you were climbing at. (laughs) I'd have been like, this chick is going to die. Let's get out of here before we're on her rescue. <laughs> you, this might have actually happened. <laughs> no. no, I mean, like... In, in, I in, admire her, her hoochspot, <laughs> but let's get out of here. <laughs> As you're like, you know, eye to eye with your belayer, like, okay, let's get out yeah, of here. <laughs> yeah, that, that one happened in Zion. That, the, the, the 50-footer 
Um, I fell on touchstone. I fell on like the splitter finger crack third pitch of touchstone. Oh, at and least I, you were up off the ground. Yeah. Where you and funny. fall 50 feet <laughs> without any problems. So I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, and that was the my first aid climb. So I'm like learning aid, which is to me was like, okay, I understand gears. It's like no big deal. I clip it and move on. And I'm kind of like cam jugging my way up this crack and occasionally leaving pro. And I was trying to be quick about it. So I was clipping in to my pro after moving off the piece. And you get to the top of the the, the crack um, and it kind of peters into these like little pin scars. And I didn't have the cam that I needed I, need, I needed the smallest offset. I had the next size up. So I just jammed it in there and like yanked the fuck out of it. I was like, okay, that seems good. Stepped onto it and leaned down and cleaned my ladder off the piece that I was going to use for pro. Well, when I pulled my ladder off, the offset that I was on kind of gritted and like moved. I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, that's not, that's not good. Nothing's moving. Okay. I'm going to clip this some and ping. Just airborne. Right. Fortunately, it's vertical. There's no ledges. But yeah, I am the first thought in my head was you're not going to hit the ground. So it's like, even if I fall a full rope length, I can't hit the ground from here. And went all the way down and everything stopped moving. And I'm like, eyes with my belayer. And he's like, what the hell happened? He's like, uh, the piece pulled. Do you have the purple gray offset? He's like, I don't know. And starts looking around. He's got it. It was like... I need it. He held out my ladder and he clipped it to it. Batmaned back up, finished the pitch. And we ended up wrapping from there because it was getting dark. Right. This was like, and I was like, okay, well, ch- check that box. That was a massive fall. Like I remember falling and like reaching out and feeling the wall slide past me as I was falling, touching it. And we went back to camp, whatever, made a campfire. Later on that night, like laying in my sleeping bag trying to fall asleep and all of a sudden I got super fucking scared. Like this huge wave of adrenaline hit me and I was like, oh my God, how did I not die? How did I not like bounce off the wall and cartwheel and like how was that not a total junk show? It wasn't, but I was like, not gonna do that one again. And then I had I ended up having a few more experiences that were somewhat like that. And at the end of the year that spring in Yosemite, I got myself into a situation up on Reed's, up on Reed's Pinnacle. I forget which pitch it is, but there's like this off-width pitch, like baby off-width, like three and a halfs to fours. And uh, my partner wasn't into it at all, and but I was. And he was like, okay, you take the off-width pitch. I'll take the other ones. And so I'm leading this pitch. I felt a little off and nervous and used burned up my forest too quickly. So I get to the meat of it and I only have a three and a half and I kind of fiddle around and try and find a constriction and put it in there. And it's like, it was probably like as big as you would want to fall on a, on a cam and just struggled for everything I was worth and ended up getting spit out, took a huge fall and like falling and having the time to think like, why are you falling so far? I thought me like, I'm just emotional. I'm worked. I tried really hard. Get back. I hiked back up to my cam. The cam had pulled. And like, I don't know exactly how, but um, kind of slid down the crack. And one set of lobes went one way and one set went the other way. And it just got stuck. Like it went down far enough that it got stuck again. And that was what caught me. And 
and I started to cry. I got really scared. I was like, oh, my God. Like, if that cam had actually pulled, I would have gone past the belayer and hit the slab below. Like, I, I could have gotten really, really hurt there, but I didn't. And so I came home from Yosemite pretty much on the dot, end of my first year climbing, and didn't lead anything for several months. It was like, at that point, I had stacked up enough things that had so thoroughly scared me. I didn't lead for a couple months at all. And then I went and like was doing like five eights and easy five nines, five eights, even five sevens, and just like loading them up with gear. Like, like, okay, you need to get out there and like practice putting gear in. You need to stop like running shit out at your limit because you just don't, you don't have the experience to push this envelope like this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you kind of like, you had now had the experience to understand like what you were playing with. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you, you, you were just naive in the beginning about like the consequences and, and, uh, and stuff like that. I think, I mean, maybe not intellectually, but maybe emotionally, like whatever, I'll, I'll make it, you know? Yeah. And, and like, I, I watch a lot of climbers get into trad climbing now and they have a, or even in climbing in general, and they have a really hard time, like trusting the gear, trusting the rope. I never experienced that. I had this like explicit trust in, in the system and in the process of climbing, I was like, well, there's like tons of people doing this all over the place. It, it's fine. Like you'll be fine. Right. And, um, yeah. So when I say like, I don't recommend that people learn the way I do, like some things that the only way to learn it is on the sharp end, but there's, there's an element of educated risk that you need to go into that with. And and I just didn't have it at that time. Well, it's interesting because you, it's like you read the books and like just believed it all verbatim. I, I remember when I first, someone placed a cam for me. Uh, it was in between two rocks on the building at college, right? Just showing. And I just didn't believe it. Like I was, I was like super skeptical of it all, you know? And I, I mean, to me, that feels a little bit normal. I, I don't know. But kind of like you, you, you bought all the diagrams and everything that was supposed to work and well, like that's believed like, it all. That's you know? like, to me, that's some of the beauty about climbing. I'm a relentless nerd and it's science. I mean, it's physics, right. it's physics, right. like it's a mechanical device. Yeah. I, I read, I read the books, like literally bought a number two online, got it, a, a BD number two, got it. And it comes with like the fat little book. Yeah. I read the fucking book. Right. I read the thing that came with the camera. I was like, oh, okay. So that's how it works. That's how it doesn't work. This is what like might happen to the rock. Which is hilarious now because I have friends at I have friends at BD and I told them I was like yeah when I first got into climbing I read like the the disclaimer things that come with the gear and they were like no way nobody reads that shit yeah <laughs> but um, yeah and it all it was all perfectly logical to me which it, I have this way of like I'm just it's a huge part of my personality that lends to like how and why I do the things that I do. I'm so driven by logic as opposed to emotion. And so when I'm climbing weird stuff or scary stuff or unusual gear in my head, I'm working out like all the angles, like the actual mathematics of it and being like, yeah, this is still okay. And I I was, I was sort of just doing that, but in like, in like a vacuum of not having any actual real world world experience with it. Right. Now I got a couple questions uh, or (laughs) observations. First of all, what were your, your partners thinking about this? I mean, 
you know, like you talked about landing next to your partner off of Touchstone and him or her. Was it a guy or a girl? It was a guy. Yeah. Like being super freaked out. And you're just like, yeah, do you have one of those cams? He's like, I don't know if I do. <laughs> like, <laughs> why are you asking me that? <laughs> that would have been me. I'd have been like, well, let me just give me a minute. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I dropped my trail mix and everything. Exactly. <laughs> what I wasn't happened? even paying attention. Now you're right here. <laughs> it's supposed was, to be C1. I was eating my snack. You're out of Grigri. <laughs> Exactly. That's pretty much how it went down. Um, so a lot of these, a lot of these first experiences were with the same partner. I had, okay. I had a pretty consistent partner my first year. That's and- amazing that he didn't <laughs> like get on the first bus out of Tucson. Like I got to get away from this girl. <laughs> You're gonna get us uh, all killed. <laughs> he was. <laughs> He was he was actually really supportive of my my exploits for the most for the most part. Um but yeah, no, like he um he he caught my first trad whip, which was I think my first trad lead, like my my, my not my first trad lead, my second trad lead. My first trad lead was a 5.9 fist crack of in paradise first. My second trad lead was a a 5.10 on uh on Mount Lemon in Tucson and right. uh yeah, I'd, and I'd followed it and cleaned it before. So I was like, yeah, I, I, I followed it. It's fine. I got this. Mm-hmm. Um, to screwed up and slipped and whipped on a point four, And he was like, whoa, <laughs> dude, you whipped on a point four. <laughs> I was just like. Okay. That's I, the, didn't like, you read the manual? That's, what, like, that's what they're for. Yeah. <laughs> they work. Right? <laughs> that's slippery there. Cams come out there. Um, <laughs> supposedly, yeah. yeah. I mean. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So I mean, he, they do work most of the time. They they, yeah. they do. And, and you know, after a few years, I've had a few. I've I've had cams not work. I've seen cams not work. I've seen rock not work the way it's supposed to. Right. Um. But yeah, that first year, I I do believe that I I had a lot of luck on my side, and right. and unfortunately, I, I had a lot of confidence. I and, mean, it's it's a pretty common story because I've done a bunch of these things, and like the whole like surviving your first few years of climbing, especially track climbing, uh, it's pretty common or feeling like, oh, I got away with something. But this is a pretty extreme example of it, um, I feel like. Because like I just did so much of it and kept doing right, it. <laughs> right. It's like, but I mean, it, you took a step back. I mean, you kind of answered the question about like what, you know, who you were to be drawn to that versus something else, you know, in 2013 or 2012 or whenever it was like, you know, drawn to sport climbing, drawn to bouldering, not so much. And then, oh, here's this track climbing thing. Not just the cracks, but the gear made sense to you. Um, and it, it seems to yeah, be in like, your mind. It's like, I mean, it, I've never read that. I've got how many cams have I bought over the years? And I just like, why do they give me this big giant piece of paper? And why are the tags on it so big? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, so, I, no, I, re- I read and the tags. The, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to point out is that when you fell off the route, you said that the first thing that went into your brain was I'm far off the ground, I'm not gonna hit the ground, right? Yeah, untouched yeah, on touchstone. Yeah, so you're you're you're, you're For, first thought was you're not gonna hit the ground. Right. You're suspended in the air. It's like uh you know, it's like uh a some sort of video where they they freeze it and there you are. You know, the slack, <laughs> like the big line of slack all the way down to that last piece. And everybody else's first thought is like, I'm gonna die. Like I this is it. Goodbye. Goodbye, cruel world, you know? <laughs> And your first thought is like, I'm fine. I'm like 300 feet off the ground. I'll see you later. <laughs> like, I'm good. You know? 
And then you touch the wall too, you said, and you have these very vivid images of you like flying through the air. Yeah. And and why am I like, you know, screaming like a trapped weasel (laughs) when that happens? And I mean, not that I've ever fallen 50 feet, never. Uh, But, but uh, I mean, when I fall anytime, it's like I'm just like someone just like slam my tail in a in a <laughs> trap or something. I'm just like, ah! so I mean, this is like a personality trait um, or I mean, something you discovered. What was what's the deal? It's it's definitely it's definitely a personality trait. Like I'm ju- there's just I and I've recognized this all my life. There's definitely some stuff about me that's just a little bit different not quite average. Um, and one of those things is this like logic that I operate off of. Like I, I'm, I'm so I'm logical to a fault. Mm -hmm. I'm logical to the point of being unemotional and I'm not a reactionary person. Like I just, I I don't have like the visceral reactions to things that, that people do. Like you could, I don't know. Somebody could walk into this room, stark naked and I wouldn't be like, holy shit. Oh my, I would just be like, okay, so this is happening. Right. And I like process things later on. So in climbing, that's the type of climbing that I ended up being really drawn to and, and actually really good at is that type of climbing where you can't freak out. Like you mm-hmm. can't be reactionary. You're just like processing it very logically and methodically. Like, okay, so this is what's happening now. And this is what I'm going to do. And checking in with the science of it. Like, is physics still in order? You know, right. <laughs> if this, if this all comes undone, will I not hit the ground? No, you're not going to hit the ground. It's fine. You know, like, that's that's just how my brain is built. So for me, for and for me in climbing, despite the fact that, that my first year was like all of these wild experiences, like the whole thing was very calm in my head right. because it all seemed totally logical to me. It was totally fine. Uh-huh. So, I mean, and you must have like in the eight years since or whatever it's been uh, that or only six years since or whatever, but um, like added more data. Oh yeah, yeah, so much more data. Right. There's so you like, were data list the, in the, the beginning. You were the, gathering. <laughs> I had I had a lot of data, but uh, right. but no, but uh, not personal no, like experience data. No, no, no experiments had right. been conducted yet. Right. <laughs> but yeah, no. Now I've got I've I've got a lot of experiments mm-hmm. under my belt and a lot more data, and uh, and I and I still love the same things right. about it that I loved that first year. Just the you know like the whole the whole adventure trad climbing thing of like not really knowing what I'm getting into, but figuring it out as I go. That's, that's still the best part of climbing. Are you ever attracted to free soloing? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. Like, like the most that I get into free soloing is the the third flat iron. I don't even really like doing the first that much. Right. I was kind (laughs) of thinking about like whether or not you could, um, you know, cause part of like a calculation, I think in free soloing and, and the times that I've been into it is like, you know, I've never fallen on this. Why would I fall now? Like, mm-hmm. I've, you know, it's like, I've never fallen at this grade. Why would this one be any different than, you know, it's like, it is kind of, sometimes it is kind of a logic game of like, you know, what, how could this possibly you know, what could possibly change in all the different things that would make me fall off of this thing? Yeah, it's you like this, like so the, that's me- why the, I mental, the, the mental yeah. control thing. And, yeah. the, and then the logic, I mean, we all have this like intellectual brain, I think, especially track climbers that bring, I mean, we, we all understand it. Like, 
like you said, well, I'm this far off the ground, so I can't hit the ground, you know. That's a very intellectual, like, decision that you made in the air while you were falling. <laughs> you know, but most of us are, and, and I'm sure you at times as well, like, the emotional part overwhelms the logical part pretty quickly for some of us, and for other people it doesn't. But, um, I mean, the intellectual versus the emotional plays a lot, I think, in free soloing as well. Yeah, and I've, like... It actually, like free soloing to me kind of goes against all of my logic. Okay. It, it like part of my logic is a, a belief in in the systems, the, system, the right. systems that I'm dealing with, and it's like, and I do really like to climb at my limit. Like mm. I like to be climbing the hardest grade of whatever style that I'm sure. capable of climbing, knowing that when it doesn't work out, I've set everything up that I'm not going to hit the ground. Right, right. Yeah. Whereas, and and also too, like. Um, the road traveled twice is not as appealing to me. So the whole like, well, I know I can do this. It's just a matter of mentally making myself do it right. is kind of less interesting. Like as, as a climber from the get go. And, and I, I, I always kind of like, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but it is, it's completely true is that I've always been mentally stronger than I am physically strong. And, you know, that's clearly what's gotten me into a lot of situations, but like proving that mental strength doesn't really. Right doesn't really do much for me okay yeah so you've been climbing recently uh in in the czech republic um that's yes. kind of like you're you're you were sort of uh based over there and are going back right in, in like a week or two yeah actually yeah. uh next wednesday okay. I, I fly back out so i spent two and a half months there this fall right and so you were climbing in in the zone with the with the knots and the runouts and all that sort of thing oh yeah yeah so can yeah, you yeah. describe uh, that place and sort of your interface with it. I mean, it sounds like maybe you were, you were sort of, uh, kind of primed to do that kind of climbing in a way. I mean, you know, it's like run out, but it, but it's not free soloing, but I think sometimes it probably feels like it is. Oh, hundred percent. And it, like the scariest climbing I've ever done. Czech Republic, hands down. Right. No question about it. Um, I actually didn't know I was going there when I first went there. Um, I was over, it was last this past May, I was in Germany for work. And I had a few extra days and was like, oh, I want to try and climb because I've never been to Europe before. So I put some feelers out on Instagram. It was just like, hey, does anyone want to climb with uh, with an American that just has a couple of days to to tour around Germany? And I, and I got a bunch of messages and I got a message from a guy that... Um, said, hey, I, if you have the time for it, you should come check out the sandstone up by um, the Czech-German border. It's all sandstone towers, and I think you'd really dig it. And so I looked up the area, and it turns out that it's um, Elbstenstein, which is the, it's an area that was like featured in Real Rock a number of years ago. And I'd, I'd seen, I'd seen the movies and it was kind of like a bucket list sort of a, a thing where they climb on the knots. And I was like, oh, that would be rad. That would be an awesome experience. So, um, took him up on it, but I thought we were still climbing in Germany. And so I like go and it's, it's a long story, but <laughs> I go and end up meeting this random guy at a German gas station in the middle of the night. And, you know, we do we exchange our pleasantries and like he's a climber. So so it's all cool, of course. And sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, like I said, it's, it's a longer story than that. But, um, and then you unclip the A's before you clip the rope. And pretty soon, <laughs> next thing you knew, <laughs> you're in a trunk. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. You, I just did like a whole lot of, a lot of back cleaning. But like the next piece was really solid. Right, right. <laughs> um <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so so I meet up with this guy and um he's like, I'll I'll just like rather than try and give you directions, just follow me. And so I'm like following him. We're driving like in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden I, I pass the sign that says like Chesky Republica. Right. I was like, whoa, am I in the Czech Republic? <laughs> so we get to we get to his house. We're like staying at his house and um there was no like he, border crossing or anything. No. Oh, all right. No, there's like not. It's not very official, really. Right. And uh, yeah, so we we get to his house and it was late. Go to sleep, and he's he was a very he's he was a very nice guy. He was um, a very thoughtful host. And it, and I wake up in the morning and I was like, so am I in the Czech Republic? And he was like, Yeah. Did you not know? <laughs> did you not know where you were going? I was like, I mean, I had a, like a vague idea of the region, but right. I no, I didn't know exactly where I was going. So, um, yeah, Czech climbing is it is beautiful. Like I never Czech had never really been on my radar, other than the whole like not climbing thing. And uh, there's a, a river that runs uh, right through that border there. Um, it, it's a huge river valley with massive sandstone walls on either side, and so you've got like a shady side of the river and a sunny side of the river. And some of the walls are like 80 meters tall of techy vertical sandstone. And um, the the history there is is super deep and fascinating. And yeah. um, So we're, we're driving out to climb that first morning and he's like pointing various walls out to me. And I'm just like, Holy shit, there is so much rock here. Um, so like thousands of routes and we get up into Germany and he's got a plan. We're going to go climb this thing. This like, it's the perfect first climb as he's described it to me that he has in mind. And so we go up to this area called um, Elbschenstein bridge and it's a national park that's full of all these amazing sandstone towers. And we hike out to it and he's like, this is like, this, this pitch is like 10 C and in based on what I know from following your Instagram, that's like well within your, uh, you know, it's like well within your capabilities. And we walk up to it and I look up at it and it's this massive, like gently overhanging wall. Probably, I don't know, like the whole thing is, is maybe 80 meters and it's covered in pockets like pockets like i've never seen before and i was like whoa dude you know like i'm not really a face climber like right. like i mean i can face climb but it's not like my forte and he was like oh it's like, it's like 10c you'll be fine and uh, he, so he starts explaining to me how the pro works and there there is no like real like there there's there's no trad gear there's no bolts i'm armed with like a massive wreath of slings and you poke the slings into the pockets and out another pocket okay and clip it with it so you're just clipping these tunnels yeah it's like v-threads and yeah it's like it's v-threads in sandstone sure and (laughs) and some of them are like nice and fat and some of them are really skinny are really skinny and you're like (laughs) pinching your way up and you know like the the feet are all kind of like sideways and it's steep too and uh i was like okay all right i'll um you know i'll give it a try and I'll see if if I get really uncomfortable, I can like lower. I can't let one of my Instagram followers down. I mean, this guy's like, he follows me. No, I mean, I was, I was like like, when they send you messages, you got to answer the message. (laughs) No, I mean, it it was, I, the, I'm the last person to like take, take pressure from that sort of of thing, but uh, you're being nice. (laughs) No, it was, I was, it was more like, like he, he was like, 
it, it again it was it's kind of like the learning how to track climb thing he he was like it, this is totally a safe climb like there's protection all over the place you just got to sling these little things mm-hmm. and you know if you if you run out of slings you could like lower and and back clean some and there's a there's a ring like I forget how high up the first ring was, but he's like, there's a ring that's supposed to be an anchor. Don't stop there. They'll just clip it and keep going. It's like the first pitch of this climb is like, I don't know, 50 meters of these pinchy tunnels. So um, so I start climbing and uh, do, do the pitch, do the pitch. And as I'm climbing, I'm like, is this for fucking real? Like some of the threads are really big and some of them are spindly. And just above the anchor he told me not to stop at i was like pumped out of my mind from like poking these things in and then you take a nut tool and you like thread it out the other side pumped out of my (laughs) mind i was like i gotta take a break like mentally i'm a little bit fried right now (laughs) and i'm i'm super pumped and so um i was like take and instead of just taking he was like really i was like yeah really take and so he he takes and i'm like Mm -hmm. sitting on this little thread in front of me like staring at it and I'm like ah that's sandstone but this is okay I rested there for a little bit finish the pitch and you get up and there's no like it's not it is nothing like how we treat climbing in the U.S. like you get to the anchor and it's one ring right that's it clip into it clip your belay device on it bring your partner up that's you know like redundancy is not really a thing there right and uh so I bring him up and he was like, he was like, I can't believe you took on that. I was like, I was tired. I didn't want to whip on it. And he was like, yeah, I mean, I know that like, I know that these things are totally safe and people must fall on them all the time, but I would never do like, You've got to be kidding me. It was entire, in his mind, it was entirely psychological pro. The entire pitch. The like, entire don't, pitch. No, don't. No, 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 no. The entire pitch is clip, like. Clip them. Don't like rest on them or fall on them. The fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, and I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe he's probably stoked. He's just like, man, this chick is whoa. <laughs> he was, he was probably like, can I leave her at right? this ring and not climb with her anymore? Because <laughs> that was fucking crazy. Um, yeah, no, and me, I'm like, okay, you know, when you say pro to an American, right, right. that's like, I can whip on this shit, right? right, right. Like it's bomber. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah. So that was my that was my intro to. Um, but you got into it. Check. Yeah. So so we did that. We, we did ended you up... get into the little plastic ones and stuff too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in, in a lot of their climbing, there is face climbing, which is it's not really my forte. Um, but running shit out within my pay grade is my forte. And, and there's a lot of that. There's like these kind of like really super old school climbs and you're going to climb for you know, anywhere from 40 to 50 meters is pretty common. And if it's an old school climb, there might be two rings on it. And then you sling a few things here and there, or there's like, you know, four rings on it. Um, I did one route that you clip a ring and you look up and your next ring is like easy 35, 40 feet away from you. And and you're like, I, I have these memories, like, you remember every single climb you you climb there, and sure. this memory of like yeah. s- like hanging there That's with cool with the bolt at my waist, and like every bolt I'd like clip it and stand there and look at the next one and be like, okay, how sure am I that I have this? Because it's you know it's it's techie vertical climbing, so it's um, 
it's it's more endurance than like pure power. Right. So am I going to run out of steam? And, and, and yeah, thing? plus you're yeah. dealing with the, the mental aspect sure. of it. And you're like, okay, how positive am I? Because I'm not moving from this one until I'm positive that I'm going to make it to that one. It, the falls would just be spectacular. Right. Yeah. Um, so that first trip, I was only there for three days and we climbed a whole bunch of stuff with, um, and I didn't, and like, I kind of had a vague idea of this, but my, my new partner's goal was for me to lead a crack climb all on knots before I left. And so the last day we went out climbing he was like, I have this perfect crack for you. It's like, it's like a 10, a crack. Right. Um, so totally something that I would be capable of doing, but it's all on this knot pro. And then also they have this, um, so the the way that that check climbing has evolved over the years, it's like they've gone from super super old school to like modern old school to like modern, and they have these things called um, UFOs or UFOs, and it's basically it's like a, a nylon wedge inside of a, a rubber casing that's basically just shoe rubber. And so you put these wedges into the rock and you set it so that the wedge can drive into its casing when you fall and it, it like kind of chocks itself in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I've seen them. Yeah. So, so it's a rated piece actually. Like, and, and they're, they're rated more than a lot of cams. It's like 15, right. 15 KN. And so, um, I, yeah, if I ended up climbing the route on those and those things are a bitch to place one handed. You've got like you're in a jam in the crack and you're trying to like push the the inside of it out so you can collapse it and put it in there and then get it set. It's an experience. Like I've clearly I've whipped on a lot of cams um, from the get go. Didn't have a problem doing it. I have not whipped on a knot. Right. And I haven't whipped on a UFO yet. And I've kind of been in t I've been intending to like go set it up and, and take a whip on one and test it. Um, but like the right circumstances just haven't presented themselves yet. But in the meantime, like the, I spent two months this fall climbing over there and I've like, I place a knot kind of like aid climbing too. like, you don't just like, you don't place a knot and go, you like place a knot and you yank the crap out of it to make sure it's not going to deform and pull through. And I'd like place a knot that I thought was really good and like yanking at it and it just like shoots right out the bottom and then, then it's like, oh my God, <laughs> what am I going to do? Am I going to die? <laughs> Or you've like, you're leading a pitch and you've placed like a whole bunch of knots and, and one of them like falls out or something. And then you're like, what about all the ones below it? Am right. I, am I soloing right now? What is my life? How did I get here? Like I've had like the most emotional moments I've ever had have been on check climbs because it's not, it doesn't feel like a sure thing to me. It doesn't, right. it doesn't feel like placing a cam and going for it. It's like placing a knot and then wondering, you know, am I right with the world right now? Or, you know, is everything against me? But you like it. But I, but I do like it. Right. I choose my climbs differently over there. And I started to get a little bit frustrated towards the end of the, the couple of months that I was there. Cause I really like, I really like being kind of at my limit and I don't feel like I can climb that way right. in check. Yeah. Like you were saying about free soloing. Like you can't get there. Yeah. Right. Like we, we went to this one location um, called Prakoff and it's beautiful, like just stunning, huge uh, gray sandstone towers um, full of cracks and full of wide cracks. But I, I only get on stuff that I'm pretty damn sure of mm -hmm. in check. 
And I ended up getting on this climb that had been recommended by somebody that knew me. And most of the climb was pretty straightforward cracks, but halfway through you hit a ledge and then some slab before you get to the next crack. And there's no pro there. You have to commit to like getting onto this um, really like gritty exfoliating slab before you can get any pro in. And it put me in a position where like there was nothing else I could do. There's no other way off the climb except for to commit to this super insecure looking move on um, really fragile rock. And it like if I had blown that, I would have decked for sure from, I don't, I don't know, it was like maybe 35 feet off the ground, mm-hmm. 40 feet off the ground, high enough where it would have mattered. Um, and that was another one of those instances where I, where I did it, did it, pulled it off, got the pro, got to the top, brought my partner up. We wrapped to the ground and I was like, I'm done. I'm 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 done. I can't climb anything else today. I'm like completely spent right. for my fortitude for doing this and like taking this risk. And after, after that part of the trip, I was kind of craving, like, I would really love to just place a cam and whip on it and like have faith in the system because it's hard for me to have the same faith in the system there. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely like the edgiest climbing that I've done. (laughs) Well, you mentioned something and we've been going a while and had a little technical difficulty that no one will ever know about until I just brought it up. So we lost a little time there, but. I wanted to, you just mentioned off withing, and that's a whole other aspect that I wanted to talk to you about, about your climate. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're part of like, you know, you're sort of a self-identified off with freak, like off with army type person. What, what's, what's appealing to you about off with? And, and also I'd like to kind of ask you a little bit about what you think, like the new sort of vogueness of the off with. The vogueness of the off with. Yeah. I mean, off with is very vogue and I, uh, it's kind of wild actually. I guess. And I've heard that. Um, and it's funny. I mean, like, based on my perusal of, of, uh, of Instagram, of Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe they just get sprayed a lot or about a lot. So uh, off with, maybe off yeah. with attracts a certain kind of person who yeah. knows. Um, yeah. So I didn't it, off with was another thing that came, came out of my first year of climbing and I didn't really, I didn't seek off with out based on knowing what it was. I kind of encountered it accidentally. Um, it was again in Zion, my partner and I were climbing this route called Kung Fu fighter and it's, I don't know, maybe it's an 11. It's that baby off with size of like three and a half, three and a half and some fours. And, and my partner just got utterly shut down. He was like, I have no idea how to climb this, like ended up aiding the whole thing. And, and so there's a top rope up and I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go. And it just made total sense to me. Like the whole, like, like my, as my fists maxed out, I was like, I would just like put my whole arm in there and like kind of cock my arm sideways and like squeeze my forearm into it. And then like, you know, sticking my calves in there and the whole like pushing versus pulling thing just, it just made sense to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I really can't explain it. Um, I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It, It takes climbing from being kind of like this vertical dance to a struggle all of a sudden. And that's, that's another part of my personality that like, like I'm, I'm not somebody who's built for like the pure power of one moment. I'm not somebody who's built to like pull down really hard just this one time. It's I'm more that person that's like, Oh, we need to struggle and suffer for like ever. I got that. Like that's just, 
that's how I am like long distance runner, sort of a mentality. Um, and so from that, that very first one, I kind of dug the difference between moving from that kind of like dancing over the rock to like fighting with it and wrestling with it. And, and then also kind of puzzling your way through it. Like, okay, so nothing fits anymore. So what combination of things that I own is going to fit and like, how can I get friction on my side so I don't fall out and, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the, the first couple of years that I was climbing actually ended up being kind of on and off for me. Uh, I ended up going through some serious injuries and a whole stack of surgeries. And when I came out of my first surgery, it, it was ACL surgery. Um, when I came out of my first ACL surgery, I was really nervous about falling on it. And so crack climbing was like the thing I could do because you, there's pro wherever you want it pretty much. Like you're, you're in a crack. You, you want pro there, put it there. And off with was kind of like the, the part of like a lot of the time in off with you, you don't, you don't like, you don't take like a 40 foot whipper out of an off with a lot of the time, especially not when you're learning. Right. Um, and so it was kind of this thing that I could work on and, I'm like really close to the rock. I'm in the rock. Like maybe, maybe you kind of like slather out of it and lose a bunch of skin, but you know, you're not like whipping and impacting the wall. So (laughs) yeah, that's actually, I've always been, I've been kind of curious with watching the sort of in vogue of the off with, I'm like, is it because you pretty much can top rope everything? Like, one move out of time. Because you're like pushing a piece with you? Pushing your cam with you? Because all the photos, it's like there's a nice big cam, maybe two. Yeah. Like (laughs) above people. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, everyone, but that makes sense. Like, you don't have to just go up there and take giant whippers to do the moves. Yeah. That being said, I have taken some giant whippers on off with since the, since I've really gotten into it. Did but, you ever, did you ever, um, meet or find someone that met my challenge? Do you remember my challenge in the, the van? The big bro? Yeah. The big bro no, challenge. No. I, well, okay. So wait, let me back up. Yes. Okay. Hold on. Yes. I, I do know people who have whipped okay. on bros now. Oh, but, really? For y- real? For real. Like above them? For, for real, above them. Okay. And I also found out what happens when you, for real, whip on a bro. They come uh, out. What? They come out. <laughs> Is it that they come out? <laughs> no. No, I do know. I do know. I do know one guy that whipped on it, and it was like a textbook bro placement, mm-hmm. like perfectly sided, s- splitter crack textbook. And um, he whipped on it, and the impact force of it dragged it down the wall. But... It, it stayed. It, but it stayed. Okay. But, it, but he said that it, it dragged down the wall like, like a good 10, 12 inches. Okay. Like tracks in the... It was right. like, oh, God. But what had happened is I had... Uh, I was getting a ride, actually. Um, and my I just, you know, in my cantankerous way, I was like, no one ever whips on big bros. Like, tell me... Show me the footage. I'm like, I want to see someone above the bro, like feet above it, like proper whip style. Yeah. And then just, you know just cowabunga come out of the crack and like take a big old winger onto a big bro because I just had never heard of it. And mostly just seem like in this day and age of giant cams, they're kind of like almost have become sort of incidental to their use has. I mean, maybe the biggest one is bigger than the biggest cams or maybe you can't afford uh, a big cam, but to- totally. And, and I, and I actually, I feel this question a lot. Right. And, and since, since but I- you have found people, cause I remember yeah. when you, I first asked you not long after that, you said, you hadn't been able, or you, I think you posted on, on, so, on no, I did. I did. Yeah. Po- I posted it on Instagram and it was crickets. Right. Like nobody was willing to say that they'd whipped on a big bro. Um, it kind of was like, it was akin to my aid rant. Like 
that like there was all this mythology within aid climbing that I found like that I had sort of debunked over the years. <laughs> and I felt like it was kind of like that. Like everybody like talks about big bros as this, you know, in this. Was, like, was some of, of that mythology yeah, that you can't yeah. take a 50 footer on C1? No, that was, that <laughs> that's a well-documented possibility with back cleaning and happens all the time and actually happens in tragic ways too. But uh, back cleaning. But uh, but yeah, so I was kind of like, yeah, that's bullshit. So, but it's not. Yeah. No. So, so I, I do, it turns out I do know a couple of people, two, two for sure, um, that I remember specifically talking to about their stories, whipping on big bros. And both of them said, I do not recommend. I do like, it was one of those incidents where like the world stopped working. Right. And, and they ended up falling on a big bro. And it's like, they never, ever, ever want to fall on a big bro again. <laughs> which confirms my inclination which was i don't ever want to fall on a big bro you know thank god for big cams um i do see the purpose of them though like and i've had to explain this to a lot of people they're like well if you don't like if you don't trust it why do you carry it and it's like well i do i do trust it i trust the science behind why it works Mm -hmm. i don't want to fall on it right like like placing knots in check sandstone like it does work. Do I want to test the system? Not really. Right. And with climbing the kind of like the, when you get into the big cam territory of, you know, you're going to climb 40 plus feet of nine inches and up, you can't carry multiple cams. You've got, well, you've got one cam on you. You can leave something. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not going to take four number nines with me to appropriately protect the crack. But I, and that's also, you know, why a lot of UC climbers off with climbers walking a cam with them mm-hmm. because it's unrealistic for them to climb with a whole bunch of those things. Right, right. So you walk one with you and you put a big bro behind you for protection right. in the event that I don't know, the world melts. Sure, sure. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, it's partially psychological too, but because it is terrifying. I mean, like doing the, uh, the classic one is, um, the monsters on El Cap. Like most people bring one or two big cams for that whole thing and so yeah. it's like when you're on it and you're you sure you have this little top rope because you're just scooching it right above you but then to look down and see your rope clipped to nothing for 40 or 50 feet just like dangling in the crack is pretty terrifying so well yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's like anyone anyone who's done a good amount of track climbing has bumped a cam and, and had, had and, and yeah. had all hell break loose exactly. you know like you go to bump no, the no, cam no, and no, all no. That, yeah <laughs> you're like oh god right. no right. no that's my only piece and right. now it's total shit and, yeah, I'm, and like are stuck yeah to you. yeah that's yeah. a good one too where your lobe pops open and then you can't move it anymore yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah for sure yeah, so I mean, even even though you're on a top rope, like in a lot of instances, that that can be fairly nerve wracking. Not that the prospect of whipping on the big bro that's like twenty feet below you is any better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so let's uh, let me ask you a couple of questions that go back to the beginning here. So, you know, six years ago, about seven years ago, you 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 found climbing, and only a little short time before that, you you just blew up your whole life. Um, Pretty much changed yeah. it completely on his head um what's your uh what's your assessment now i mean as as you know six years in about ready to go back to the the czech republic like you know it's it's been a wild ride yeah it's been totally worth it um i after i fully discovered climbing that first year i basically just went ahead and structured my life around it kind of lived on the road for a year 
car camping and climbing all over the West and then decided to move to Boulder because, you know, it seemed like the logical thing to do. Actually, the reason I moved to Boulder is because I missed having winter down in Tucson. There's no real winter there. But I, I spent... I spent a good couple of years really kind of in love with the, the American desert here and like running out there every chance that I got. But I got to the point too, where I was like, okay, so I I came this far from where I was in Michigan and I've had, you know, I've had all this adventure. I've been in, into all these like places and situations and experiences that were kind of like literally my wildest dreams when I was in Michigan and when I was a kid but there's more like this is still just like a really small part of the world that I've seen. And, um, so the past two years have been really like thinking hard about, well, where else do I want to go? What else do I want to experience? And that led me to China and to the Czech Republic. And so this is another kind of like blow up my life moment where literally just quit my job like worked my last day of work today and sold most of the things that I owned, gave up my lease here in Boulder in September. And I'm leaving on Wednesday to go back to check, but I'm really only there for a couple of weeks and then flying to Jordan for a month and then to China for Ooh. two months. You and, going to Wadi Rum? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm psyched. Looks beautiful. Uh, then China for two months and then South Africa for two months and then Chamonix for a month and then Australia for a couple of months and then Tasmania and then Mexico. So you're on the wing. Yeah. I'm, I'm free ranging right on globally free ranging for the next year. Do you have a partner for this? I do. Okay. I do. And you know who it is? Who? It's the guy that I met at the gas station in the middle of the night. It's just like your 50 foot whipper worked out fine. It was totally did not hit the ground. That's not yet. <laughs> Haven't decked yet. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. My, my instincts were good on that one. All right. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for sitting down. I mean, I caught you. I kind of was like, not, not unlike this gentleman, I was uh, stalking you online and all of a sudden... <laughs> You had told me like, oh, I'm going to be here through January. You said something about being here through OR and stuff. I was like, okay, we'll get this done. And then all of a sudden you're you're like, I'm out of here. Crazy week. I'm going. And I was like, okay. And then I got in touch and, and here we are. So I'm glad Which we I'm, got it done. I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised that, that it, you made it happen. Cause I didn't, I don't know. Why not? I don't, I don't know. Like. I, I knew that you were going to be out here for OR and originally I actually was going to stay for right. OR, but it's just things wrapped up early. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm it worked glad, out glad. for it me worked too. Out. So yeah, and I mean, I got to work hard to get these face to face things done. So um, I'm willing to to put the time in, but uh, I'm glad I you did it. it. Yeah, yeah, me too. And um, what's your what's your Instagram handle? It's the lemon pie or oh, uh, Jenny Lemon Pie. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't ask me about that. Actually, why? I don't know because it's just a story. It's such a random thing. Yeah, I mean, I had to look up your last name before I got here. <laughs> you were just Jenny Lemon Pie, and, on, and so you, that's how you found the the article that I was quoted yeah, in that totally. I didn't know I was quoted in. Yeah, um, it's it, it is kind of a funny story, but it's from what it's from, and I never talk about this on Instagram. It's it's from Pulp Fiction, where Bruce Willis is in in bed with the French girl, and he calls her Lemon Pie. Okay. Yeah. And that's it. 
There's some that that's what it's some. from. So uh, years ago, years ago, before before I had Instagram, um, an ex, a crazy ex of mine, hacked into all of my my personal accounts. Like, like yeah, my Facebook emails, um, and and I found out about it. And so I needed like I needed a new email account to reset everything through. And and I was watching Pulp Fiction. And so, and I didn't have a Gmail account yet. So I just like signed up Jenny Lemon Pie, Gmail, boom, reset all my passwords on everything, got all the shit straightened out. And then actually like maybe a year and a half after that, I decided to start up an Instagram account as, um, as a social experiment. And it just swiped my, my Gmail when I, when I signed up and I was like, all right, whatever, I'll roll. I'm Jenny Lemon Pie. Sure. I'll roll with it. It's fine. I didn't really have any intentions, and yeah, no. Here, a couple of years later, that's that's the Instagram. Yeah, name. so people can follow that to find out how this year goes. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Cool, please, cool. please join in. All right. Last um, question. Okay. Is Steve Carell as funny in person as he is on television? Is Steve Carell as funny in person? I'd like to think so. Okay. Why is that, why is that the last question? <laughs> people will have to puzzle over that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. (laughs) Thank you. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Jenny for sitting down. That was fun, right? Jenny taking giant whippers like a maniac. Well, just got word from her that her plans have changed she went over to czech republic to meet up with this gentleman that luckily somehow lured jenny lemon pie back to his house well done sir well done anyhow they can't get to china so they're putting that leg of their world travels on hold and coming back to the states climbing the desert so maybe you'll run into them in the desert in utah this spring uh banging it out on those cracks like she loves Okay, folks, remember that you can support the EnormaCast. Still, after all these years, the EnormaCast is asking for your support. It's an ongoing thing, kids. It's an ongoing thing. Go to EnormaCast.com, click on the Help Out tab, and if you're over there and after you've joined the Access Fund, you still have a little money burning a hole in your pocket, you can, of course, donate to the cause here at the EnormaCast. I've always said, if I got a buck a show, I'd be a millionaire. I'd be a multimillionaire. Hell, if I got 25 cents a show, I'd still be a millionaire. How cool would that be? Anyway, head over to normacast.com. Do what you can to help out. There's other things besides giving me money. It's all right there on the help out page. Cool. Hope it's warm and sunny where you are, unless you're ice climbing, in which case I hope it's shady and horribly cold. And whether you're warm, cold, or somewhere in between, please don't forget to check your knots. Come on, Mindy, honey. Be a big girl now. There's nothing to be afraid of. Is it going to hurt back? Oh, child. Only for a second, sugar. A handgun bullet travels at more than... 700 miles an hour. 700 miles an hour. So at close range like this, the force is going to take you off your feet for sure. 
but it's really no more painful than a punch in the chest. Are you getting punched in the chest? You're gonna be fine, baby doll. <laughs> How was that? Not so bad. Kind of fun, huh? <laughs> 